You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. A couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Drew kicked off a new series called Culture Defined. Um, To help us define the culture um, that we desire to have, that we aspire to have, that we have here at LifePoint, and uh, culture is a huge thing. It's, an, it's, it's, it's extremely important. And you're creating culture everywhere that you go and everything that you do. And so it's, it's important that we're intentional. So at your job, you're creating culture. You're contributing to the culture at your, at your, in your office or in, on your work site. In your family, you're contributing to the culture that's being built, that's being established in your family, in your own personal life. In your individual life, there's a culture in which, which you are um, creating, whether you like it or not, culture is being created. That's why it's been so important that we are intentional, that we think about it. It's something that we're thoughtful about. It's something that we're, we're conscious and that we, we're, we're saying, God, what is it that you want us to be about? Who are the people that you want us to be? Because, you know, as we read God's scripture, you read his word and you see God's way And you say, man, this is the standard. And then sometimes we see this disparity between God's word, his standard, and what our personal experience is. So what tends to happen is one of two things. Either we decide that this standard is maybe just unreachable. And so we're like, well, maybe let's just water it down a little bit. Or let's change it. Let's lower the standard to meet our expectation or our experience. Or we say, well, if what we're experiencing isn't matching up with, 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 God, with God's word and what he's saying, there must be a lack in us. There must be something within us that needs changing and transforming. And I would say that, that it's the latter that should be true in us, that says, God, there's never a lack in you, but there's things in us that grow out of alignment. There's things in us that need to be changed and transformed. And culture, who we are, who we say we are, what we're about, and that will drive the things that we do, the things that we pour our heart and soul into, who we are. And so over the last number of weeks, we've been just unpacking that. And next week, Pastor Drew will be back um, sharing about generosity. But our first one we talked about was, um, what was the first one? Presence of God, I'm so sorry. The presence of God. We are people who value God's presence, even if I can't remember what it is. We are our people who value God's presence, right? So that means in worship, in the words that we share, in prayer, we are passionate about God's presence. The second thing is, is we desire, is who's next, is who's coming next? Who are the people that are not in this room? Where are the empty seats? Who are the people out here? Who are the 99, or we leave the 99 and go after the one? Who, who's, who's coming next? Who's the next generation of, of followers of Jesus? Those things are important. And last week, Pastor Drew shared about authenticity, that we owe it to this world to have an authentic expression of this gospel, that we are a people who, who would come before the Lord and say, God, if there's any wicked way in me, change me, transform me, do something new in me. And this week is one that's near and dear to my heart as we are family. We are family, and we've defined it in this way, that we, we believe family is one of the best descriptions of how we relate to each other in our church. 
We have all been adopted as sons and daughters. We desire to live out a level of commitment and sacrifice that is consistent with kingdom family. This is a family. Church is not a business. Church is not just a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Church is not a glorified social club. Church is family. Church is family, and that's the way I believe that. God it desires us to, to view it because it'll cause us to care for it differently. It'll cause us to look at it differently, and it requires something from us. Something is expected from us when it's a family, and all families are different, right? I could come to your house and see the way you guys do things, and it might seem different than the way that I do things and vice versa. I remember as a kid, I went to a friend's house, <clears throat> maybe like nine or 10 years old. We're getting ready for have, to have supper. And his mom, she said, boys, would you like a can of pop? And I said, what? I got my own can of Coke. I was like a king. And I didn't have to share it with anyone. And then we're sitting at supper, and the mother brings out what we're having for supper. And my friend, he said, I don't really like this, mom. Can you make something else? Do you know what this woman said? She said, yes. And I said, what is this world that I'm living in? In my house, the mantra was, if you, don't, you don't have to like it. You just have to eat it, <laughs> right? And so I, I couldn't believe this. But we all live and come from different places, right? And that's the unique and beautiful thing about God's kingdom is that we come from all sorts of background and we come under the banner of Jesus together and the same heart, the same vision, the same passions. We might have different preferences, we might have different backgrounds, but all that is secondary to what God wants. And there's something that I've seen, and maybe you've seen it too, that's, that's crept into the Western church, and I, I don't want you guys to think, I know Pastor Drew and I talk a lot about the Western church or the church in the United States, we, we're not against the church in the United States. It's, it's the, the context in which we serve, and, and we love it. But there, I think all throughout church history, there's been people that are going hard after God, and, and they get off the path a little bit, and God says, hey, let's go, let's go back here. And then we veer over here a little bit, and he's like, okay, let's head back here. Okay, let's revere, okay, let's get back online so that we're in a perfect alignment with what he wants. And what I've seen in the United States now is that there's this consumerism that's kind of crept in to the church, that we come and we say, Pastor, feed me. Play all the songs that I like. Make sure the carpet's the color that I like. Make sure it's the right kind of coffee that I like. And I can come and I could receive a little word and then I can go home and be on my way. And I have not, not invested anything. And I believe that God is, that's a very low standard of what this really can be. We're robbing ourselves, we're robbing the kingdom of what we have to contribute. You know, when, uh, when, when it's our, uh, my wife and I's like anniversary or um, birthday or something, we like to get really dressed up and we like to go to a, a nice restaurant and pay for an overpriced steak. And we, we just, we love doing that. We love going to a place where, you know, there's all, all other fancy people and they don't know that we're not normally fancy people. And you come in and, you know, right away they, they, they come quickly and they, they ask for your drink order. They bring you, you know, bread before all these different things. You order your food, and you know, coming into a place that nice, there's a certain expectation that you have. You know, if I'm gonna be paying that much money for a steak, it better not be well done, right? That would be an abomination, <laughs> right? It better be medium rare. And so, 
But there's a certain expectation because I am coming there. I'm giving them my legal tender in exchange for their services and their, their goods, right? That's the nature of the country in which we live, which is a good thing. That is a good thing. But that is not the church. The church, sometimes we invest things. We invest our heart. We invest our resources. We invest our lives. And we don't necessarily see a return on that in the same way we would if we were to invest those things into the world. But we're a part of something greater. We're part of a kingdom of God that surpasses the here and now, that goes on for eternity. We're investing in the lives of people who might not otherwise hear this gospel. And that is impossible to put a price on. Church is not a business. Church is not a social club. Church is family. Worldwide, it's family, but even here now, in, this, in our immediate church family, that's what it is. And so we're going to be, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at the origins, the genesis of the New Testament church. And just to give you a little context, if you're not familiar with this portion of scripture, this is just like a bunch of people experiencing something no one else on the planet has experienced before, and they're hanging on. <laughs> they're hanging on. And so we look at this portion of scripture not to look at how they necessarily are organizing themselves, but we're looking at, how, at, the, at their values and the culture in which they live their daily lives. And so in John chapter 20, we see Jesus has been crucified, and his followers, the disciples, they're in this room. They've locked themselves in this room because their, their master, their rabbi, has just been brutally murdered. And they're waiting at any time for that door to be burst down and, and for them to be arrested and taken away. So they're scared out of their mind. They have no idea what's happening. This wasn't the plan, even though Jesus told them that this was the plan. And so they're scared, and all of a sudden, they had, uh, Jesus appears to them. They didn't know that he had risen from the grave. And Jesus appears to them. And that would be really scary, wouldn't it? This, this guy you've been following for three and a half years all, has been murdered, and all of a sudden he appears. He comes through the wall. <laughs> You're like, what is happening in my life? They don't believe it, so he shows them his hands, his side, his feet. And then Jesus he, he says this, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And they are the first new covenant believers. Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in their lives. Now he appears to them over the next uh, few weeks, and there's over 500 people that see Jesus through this time. And he appears to them, and he echoes the things that he'd been saying on this earth, which says, now not long from now, you're going to be endued with power. You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, so wait. So wait in Jerusalem, because not long from now, Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to have power to be a witness, not just here in Jerusalem, but to the ends of the earth. So that's what happens. It's a, it's a feast of Pentecost, so there's thousands of Jews all coming to Jerusalem from all over the world. It's incredible. And there's 120 of them in an upper room, and Holy Spirit comes like a mighty rushing wind and baptizes them in the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, they're transformed, they're changed. They start speaking languages they don't know, and they go out in the streets, and Peter gets up and he preaches the sermon of a lifetime, and 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. 3,000 people become followers of Jesus in that moment, right? 
It's amazing. Just think about it. It's a very short period of time. So you have these cowards cowering in, in a room somewhere, afraid for their lives, and all of a sudden they're preaching to the very people who killed Jesus. Repent. Repent, therefore, so that times of refreshing can come from the Lord. And all these people come to know the Lord. It's amazing. So what happened is because it was a feast of Pentecost, there's people all over the world coming together. Some of them go back to their, their, where, they, where they're from, and some stayed in Jerusalem, and the church started. But overnight, it's amazing how God works. Overnight, the gospel is spread all over the world. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So here's where we pick up in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Is there's all these people, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And so, but they have this, this, this value of family. In verse 42, it says this. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling this sense of awe, and many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. We're going to stop there. So we're going to slowly work our way through that portion of Scripture this morning. And what we're really looking for is attributes of family that we see in this, in this early church, the culture in which they live their life every single day. And I don't mean like the ethnic culture or the, the culture of the day, but like this family-like culture in which they experienced. <clears throat> so verse 42, it starts out and it says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. The first attribute is this, is that family, it cares about maturity. Maturity is family talk. You know, when I go into my local cell phone service store, they don't care about my maturity, right? They're not interested in my personal development. They want my money, and I freely give it to them, right? They're not concerned about maturity. Maturity is family talk. And in James 1, God says that he desires that we be, would be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. Maturity is family talk. We're, when we raise our kids, we're not looking to raise just good girls and boys. We're not raising sons and daughters. We're raising mothers and fathers. We're raising people that will one day be men and women who will influence and transform this world with their life. Right? And, you know, when we're, when we have, when we're kids, there's... There's certain structure that we need. And even in our spiritual infancy, there's certain structure that we need. There's certain guardrails that we need. You know, for my kids, there's five and Dean's almost, he'll be, uh, he's one and a half. You know, there's, there's, there's structure that they need in their life. They need someone to tell them to brush their teeth at night. They need someone to tell them to, to change their underwear. They need someone to tell you, you're very dirty and you need a bath. This is not a question. This is what we're doing, Right? You need someone to say, no, we're not going to eat chocolate and cookies for supper, right? We need to eat things that are, that are healthy for you. And that's normal in infancy, in, in, the, in the, the newness of life. But there comes a day where there's a degree of personal responsibility that, that we take, right? And if my daughter's 15 and I'm still having to tell her to brush her teeth, 
If I'm still telling her that, no, we're not going to eat uh, chocolate and donuts for supper. No, you know what? You need, to, you need to bathe today. You know, if that's something that we have to do at, at that age, something's wrong, right? Something's wrong. But we care about maturity. You know, a couple weeks ago, my, my daughter, who's, who's five, is like most kids. You know, if you ask her to clean, she doesn't really want to clean up. But the other night, we're all sitting around, and she starts cleaning up the living room. And nobody had said anything, or nobody asked her. And so we're all like, nobody move. Nobody say anything. Just let this happen. And she cleaned up the whole thing, and we're like, wow, Evie, that was so awesome. That was so nice of you to do that. We thought, man, this is, she's a changed woman. <laughs> this is going to be like, from this day forward, well, we were just counting our blessings for that day. But you know what? As, as believers... As we walk with the Lord and we grow in our maturity, there's a certain personal responsibility that you and I need to take for our spiritual growth. That as we come together as a family, right, and we encourage each other, we support each other, we link arms with one another, but no one else can live this life for you. No one else can, can follow Jesus for you. And someday we'll stand before the Lord, right? And your, your wife won't stand with you, your husband won't stand with you, your parents won't stand with you, your friends, your kids. You'll stand before the Lord and he'll say, did you do what I asked you to do? Because no one can live this life for you. And I think sometimes we're hoping that the church would build for us something that would live this life for us. Or that the church would build for us something to, fulfill, to, to live out the call of God on our lives. If God has called you to something, you have a personal responsibility to that. If God's called you to the homeless, to reach the homeless, don't wait for the church to have a homeless ministry. Go serve and minister to the homeless people. If you have a, a heart for, the, for missions, don't wait for the church to start a, a missions ministry. Steward that in your life, right? There's a degree of personal responsibility and a responsibility to one another as a member of this family to steward your life well, to grow in maturity. And that's what the beautiful thing is, is about being a part of a family, is that you have people in your life that help you find the blind spots, see the areas in your life that, that man, this is an area of weakness. This is something that, that God needs to do something in my, in my heart. This is something I need to work on. And that's the beautiful thing that we come together and there's strength when we come together. But there's a degree of personal responsibility that you and I have. Amen? You guys with me? Okay. In verse 43, it says this, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. Family is about being known. It's not about the crowd. You know, I love that we're a growing church. I love that we're a growing church. But you know, it's about being known. It's not about how many, uh, it's not about just throwing a big party on Sunday and seeing how many people we can get jammed into a room. It's about being known. It's about knowing and being known. And look here, it says that they were, that were together. It means more than just they gathered in a place. It means like they were together, they were bound to one another, they were linking arms together. And they had all things in common. I think we read that and we think, oh, that means that there was uniformity across the board. They all liked the same thing, they all did the same thing, they all cared about the same things and that's just not what it means. Actually what it means is that they all belonged and they were all, all accepted. In the previous verses, in verse 42, it says that word fellowship 
That fellowship, again, means more than just a bunch of people hanging out together. It means like a familial, a family-type intimacy, uh, type caring for one another. You know, every single one of us has this deep desire within us to be known, to be accepted, to belong somewhere. And it's obviously the Lord that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the main, main relationship, but there, there's relationship with one another. We desire to belong somewhere. That's what I love about this place is it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter the family that you grew up in. It doesn't matter the brokenness in your life. You belong, that you are accepted. Whether you're just starting your journey, whether you, maybe you haven't even started your journey with the Lord yet, whether you've walked with the Lord for 50 or 60 or 80 years, that you belong, that you are loved, that you are accepted. And it's in that place of being known that it's our rough edge, edges are rubbed off. As we open ourselves up to be vulnerable with people, we take that risk of relationship. It's in that place where we allow people to help us to walk in holiness to walk in a greater level of purity like we've not known before, to spur us on to something greater. And it's amazing to me in this world, Drew and I were just talking about this this week, what loneliness will drive people to do. Loneliness drives people to enter into relationships they know are bad for them just because they don't want to be alone. It allows us to, it it will cause us to compromise in our convictions It'll cause us to seek things out to to try to numb the loneliness because there's just this innate sense of desire in each one of us to belong, to be accepted. And God's answer for our loneliness is relationship with him and relationship with one another. That's what God's answer is. We need each other. I need you. You need me. Whether we like it or not, but being known as a two-way street, it takes the ability to be open and vulnerable, take the risk and share your life with someone, but it also requires a people who are open, who, would say, who are, have that receiving heart that says, I wanna receive you into my home, I wanna receive you into my life. I, I'm someone that you can confide in, I'm someone you can find comfort in, I'm someone you can find encouragement in. And so if you're a mature believer in this place, I believe there's a mandate on your life that says, that, that will say to the people around you, if you need anything, I'm here for you. You can count on me. You can count on me. It doesn't matter what happens in this life. You can count on me. And it's in that strength where we really know, we get to know each other. And that's uncomfortable sometimes, right? Once you know the real people, there's things that are, in every single one of us, there's things that are less than ideal, But that's where the grace of the Lord comes. And we come together before a holy God and say, God, make us more like you. Continuing on in verse 45, it says, and they began selling their property and possession and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. The third attribute is family contributes. I wanna make a pit stop. This is not an experiment in communism or some sort of form of socialism. Right? There was no mandate on these people. No one was holding a gun to their head saying you have to sell all of your possessions and, and we'll disperse them equally. In fact, later in Acts, Peter says that explicitly. But there was this 
this such a deep love and care for, for, for one another. It would say, if one person's struggling, we're all struggling together. If someone is in need, man, there, there's this heart that we have for them to help, right? The Bible says, pity the man who, ha- who falls down and has no one to pick him up. And that's what this is, is that family contributes. Family pitches in. Family gives. Family gives not just of our resources and finances, but family gives of our time and our attention and our energy. It's just what family do, families do. In our family, one of our, one of our core values is that everybody helps. Everybody helps. There's an expectation that everybody helps. So when, we, when we're done with supper, there's an expectation that everybody helps clear the table and do the dishes. And there's different expectations because on some, because Evie's five, you know, but uh, there's not a whole lot. I'm not going to have her be putting away the knives and things like that. But, <clears throat> but there's an expectation on her to help, and so she will clear, clear plates off the table. She'll put things back in the refrigerator. Even Dean, who's one and a half years old, right? We say, Dean, here, take this and throw it in the garbage, and he waddles over to the garbage, and he throws it in there, right? There's an expectation. But when Dean was only four months old, there was not an expectation for him to help. You know, at that age, he barely knows is that he has arms. And so it's like, you know, there's no expectation. But the reason is because there's immaturity. The reason is, is because he's not able. He's not physically able. But there comes a day in his life as he grows that there's an expectation. And it might not be the same as, as, as me and mom. But there's still an expectation that everybody helps. Everybody pitches in. Everybody contributes. You know, Drew and I, we come from a really big family, and so, you know, when we gather for holidays and stuff, it's like almost, well, it's going to be 14 children under the age of nine and their parents, and so it's a lot of human beings in one house. And when we gather, it's like an all-hands-on-deck type of situation, right? So we all help with the dishes. We all help make meals. We all help pick up after the children, We all help play with the children and hang out and find things to do. You know, if there's a kid, that little little kid wandering towards the stairs, we're not like, man, it's not my kid. Someone should probably do something. Hope hope the little guy makes it. No, we don't. That's insanity, right? Even if you're a guest in that place, you would say, okay, I'm gonna run and grab that child. But that's what family does. And there's an all-hands-on-deck type mentality that every single one of us in that place has something to give. And when we gather here on Sundays, when we gather throughout the week and celebrate, it's like, it's like Christmas morning. We come and we celebrate together, but it's an all-hands-on-deck type deal. And we all contribute, and we all pitch in, and we all serve. Because it's family, and that's what family does. And the only reason we don't is because of immaturity and inability. So family contributes. Moving on to verse 46, it says, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Wherefore, as family is unified, there's that word again, together. They were bound together. They were bound and determined to not let anything come between them. And they had one mind. 
They were focused on one thing, and that was Jesus. They're running after the same things together. In verse 43, it says that everyone kept feeling this sense of awe, or the, uh, another version says, the fear of the Lord. And this is kind of a, a common phrase throughout the book of Acts. It's pretty neat. It's like God did something, and it said they were all full of the fear of the Lord. They were all like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. They were filled with awe and wonder or amazement. That's a common phrase throughout the book of Acts. That's exciting. I wish that, I, I, I hope that there's a day that that is us, where every single week we're just like, I can't believe what God has done. I cannot believe what God has done. And then there's a sense of ownership that each one of them had to protect it, to care for it. There's an accountability that, that they had to one another. See, family sticks together and is committed. And like you've heard me say before, I'm, I'm not saying there's never a reason to leave a church. There definitely is. But I think sometimes we can be so fickle family is committed to one another. More than a name on a church, more than a pastor, it's a, a people. It says, I'm committed to these people. And you can count on me. That's why there's no room for comparison. There's no room for criticism, or cynicism, or jealousy. This is why we take forgiveness so seriously. Offense, And if you're in this room this morning and there's someone and, and you have offense, a, a offense towards someone else here, man, it's up to you. It's your responsibility to go make things right with that person, big or small. If, there's, if, there, if you are offended by someone here in this room, someone that's not here maybe this morning, go and give them an opportunity to make things right. That means we don't come and attack them and say, you stink, you did this, you did this, but we say, man, it was really hurtful when this happened. And I wanna make things right with you and give them an opportunity to repent, give them an opportunity to ask for forgiveness. But we, we, we owe it to one another to not let offense be something that divides us, that causes us to, st to stick a wedge in this place or in between us. Your gossip will destroy a people. If there's something that you hear about someone else, don't go talk to somebody else about that. If it's really that concerning to you, go talk to the person about it. Gossip will cause division and strife within a people. It breaks down trust. And if we can't trust one another, what are we doing? What are we doing? We're just coming every week and we just kind of have a nice little service and go on our way. I'm saying, God, man, God, I think he wants us to be, to, to, to be linked arm in arm, bonded together. That says there's nothing that is going to come between us because there's too much at stake. There's a world out here who needs to know Jesus. And our eyes get so fixed on other things, on little things, and those little foxes. And God is saying, no, let's be arm in arm, united as one. We don't have to agree on everything. But we can be together, moving forward, one mind and one accord, one heart. Amen. Worship team, you can come back. In verse 47, it says this, and they're praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Family never stops growing. 
family never stops growing. What I love about this is you kind of see a progression of things. In verse 47, it says they're praising God. What were they focused on? What was their attention fixed on? Jesus. They were seeking the things that were above and not below. They were, they're, they're, they were so eternally minded that their heart was always for the things that God's heart was for. That means we leave the 99 and we go out for the one. That means when we see one of us hurting or one of us struggling, there's compassion within our heart that causes us, that moves us to do something. Because our, our mind is focused on the things we, uh, that Jesus is focused on. We care about the things that Jesus cares about. And I would love it if our, our, if our church, our heart for this church is that we would be like a John uh, 13 church where, like Jesus said, this is how they will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. By how you love one another. I would love it if, if, if we had a reputation as a people that when we went out in this community and people, somebody met somebody from LifePoint, they're like, oh, you're from LifePoint, wow. Man, those people, you guys know how to love each other. You know how to serve people. I would love to hire you just because you're from LifePoint because I know people from LifePoint work hard. They work, uh, they do things in an excellent manner. That we have a reputation, that we are heavenly minded, that we are after the things that God is after. Because there's, there always has to be more room at the table. And I think sometimes we can just be satisfied and say, man, God, you know what? We got our nice little thing going here. This is great. And it's not really open to outsiders. But there's always room for more at the table. We can always put more leaves in the table and make it bigger. We have more silverware. We have more plates. We can always add more. There's always more room for people. And our heart and our mind have to be what after, after what Jesus is after, and that's souls. That's the lost people of our region. That's such a deep care for one another and concern for one another. There's always more room. And we'll do whatever it takes to make more room. You know, growing up, there was a man that we knew. He was an usher in our church. His name was Orville. And Orville was like one of those guys that <clears throat> my entire life, he was always an elderly man. And so I just assumed that he was always old. He's always been old. He came out of his mother and he was an old man. I don't think that was true, but I don't have proof of that. But for the 28 years that I knew him, that's what he was. But Orville served for years and years and years and years and years faithfully as an usher in our church. And that's really all that I knew of him. That he would come, he was the first one there. He always opened, he unlocked all the doors. He did behind the, thing, the scene things that nobody saw. He would set up all the classrooms with with their chairs. And you know, as he grew older in age, he, he wasn't as, as strong as he once was, and so he, but he still was bound and determined to set up the chairs for Sunday school, and so he would actually take a wheelchair, and he would put a chair in a wheelchair, and he'd wheel it into the room, and then set it up, and he'd go back and do that until the rooms were set up. And you know, we've, we grew up in, in North Dakota, and if you know anything about North Dakota, it's very cold. 
in the winter time. It's like so cold, like why would anyone ever live here cold? And we had a big church and there was a huge parking lot in the back and Orville would park all the way at the back of the parking lot. And even up into his 80s, he would shuffle across that parking lot. And we'd say, Orville, Orville, you can park closer. You can park closer. You know, you, you don't have to park so far away. And he'd say, no, 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 no. I have to park. I, I want to park over there because I want the guests. I want, I want the families. I want, I want the people of the church. I want them to have the best spots. So there was no, no talking him into it. Well, in his upper 80s, Orville passed away. And uh, I went to his funeral. And, you know, Orville never had a family of his own. Uh, most of his family members had passed away. And so I, I went to his funeral and I was amazed that there was hundreds of people at this funeral. And I remember the pastor started talking about Orville and his life. And at one point he stopped and he said, is there anybody here that wants to say anything about Orville? And nobody moved or anything. And all of a sudden one guy gets up and then another person gets up. Another person gets up. It was like, a, it was like out of a movie or something like that where all these people start getting up. And there's a line that forms of all people that want to talk about Orville. One man got up and he said, you know, Orville worked at Cast Clay Creamery for almost 50 years. And during that time, uh, we, we worked together. And my wife and I, we lived outside of town in this little house, but it had a long driveway. And in the winter, the wind would blow and it would snow and you get these huge drifts. And we didn't have money for a snowblower, so I'd have to go out there and shovel it. And sometimes I was late for work. And one time my boss got on me because I was late for work because I had to clear the driveway to get out. And Orville overheard this. Next time it snowed, he said, I came outside and I saw Orville. He was already clearing my driveway. And together we cleared that driveway. And he would always do that. Another woman got up and she was in a wheelchair and she said, I'm in a nursing home and my, my family, they don't come to see me anymore. Nobody comes. But Orville comes several times a week and he plays games with me. He reads, he reads scripture to me. He prays with me. He's a friend. Another woman got up. She said, I live down the street from Orville. And at one point in our life, my, my husband walked out on us and left us with nothing. Orville found out about that and he would come over and he'd help fix our car and fix things around the house. At times I was hard up for money and I'd ask the Lord for help and I'd find cash in my mailbox and I always knew it was from Orville. He was a good friend. And on and on and on it went. You know, Orville in this life Never had this picture on a magazine. Never got an award. He didn't even get recognized for a lot of the things that he did. But I know that when he stood before the Lord, Jesus was just beaming. Going, way to go, Orville. Way to go, man. You did it. You did it. And I bet that day they had a parade for Orville in heaven. And I'm sure he's legendary there. One day we'll meet him. But he had a heart for people. He had a family. Even though he didn't have a family of his own, he knew what it was to take the family of God seriously. To 
take responsibility for his life and what God was asking, requiring of him. What does he have to give? What does he have to do with his life? Because that, hundreds of people benefited, came to know Jesus because of him. I believe that God, for each one of us, has something unique. You all have something you need to give. And when we come together, we're a, a more complete picture. So would you stand across this place? Hopefully you hear my heart this morning. We don't want to shortchange God. We don't want to shortchange each other. And there's such an amazing strength that comes when we understand what God is asking of us in this family. That we are part. If someone doesn't show up for Christmas, we give them a call. Say, where are you? If somebody's struggling, we help. If we're celebrating. We celebrate together. Because that's what family does. So we're going to pray, and I'm, I'm going to ask two questions this morning as we close. And I'm going to ask, and as I ask these questions, I'm going to ask that you raise your hand. And my intention in you raising your hand is not to embarrass you or call you out or make you do anything weird, but I want to pray for you, and I want to know who I'm praying for. The first question is this, is maybe they're in your heart. You're like, man, I really want to experience this. I want to know this. Uh, I want to know what it is to be a part of this family of God. But I have hurts in my life from, from maybe the church. I want you to know that God wants to heal your heart of that. You cannot say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. That's like saying, I love you, Tony, but I don't like your wife. Right? It, I'd say, hey, I love you, but there's only so far that our relationship can go before we come to an impasse. Because I love my wife. I would do anything for my wife. And Jesus died for this church so that we could have a relationship with God. So, God wants to heal that wound in your heart. And people are imperfect. There's no perfect church. I hate to break it to you, but this is not a perfect church. It's full of imperfect people. So there's grace to be had. So if you're here in this place, would you just put a hand up? If you're saying, I just need healing in my heart, I want to acknowledge that there's this wounds that I have from the past and I want God to heal it. If that's you, would you put your hand up in this place? Shoot it up and put it back down. Thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Appreciate your honesty. The second question is this. If maybe you're like I was 15 years ago, just far away from God, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you've had one in the past, but it's just grown cold and stagnant, and you need to get your life right with the Lord. If that's you, would you just put a hand up? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Appreciate your honesty. You can put your hands down. I think it's important that we acknowledge these things among our, our friends, among our family. If you just raised your hand and you need to give your life to the Lord, you need to get your heart right with God, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you to say one like it in your own heart. God, this morning, I just recognize that I'm not where I need to be with you. That my heart is far from you, that there's sin in my life, that there's 
things that I'm dealing with and I'm struggling with. And Lord, I want to make things right. I want to have a relationship with you today. So right now, I just thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers and washes every single sin. It makes a way for Holy Spirit to come and live inside of me and come upon me in strength and power. So I just accept that free gift of salvation that comes only through the blood of Jesus. And I just turn now. I turn from pursuing this world. Now I pursue you, Jesus. You will be my life's aim to know you better. To pursue you. To run after you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you come now in strength and power right now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you raise your hand for that first question, I want to pray for you. God, we know that it's easy, even in families, to get hurt, to be wounded, to have people say and do things that families shouldn't say or do. Lord, right now we just pray. God, that forgiveness would take root. Lord, we just release now. We just release. We just open up our hand and we let go of that thing, that hurt, that wound. We're not acknowledging it didn't happen. We're not sweeping it under the rug. We're not minimizing it. But we're putting that to rest now. And we're saying, Jesus, come now and heal, which was once wounded, which was once broken. Come and heal as we just, we forgive, we forgive. And help us to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. And tomorrow when we wake up and we're still angry, we forgive again. And so on and so on and so on. But Lord, right now we just release the power that this has over our lives. In Jesus' name. I pray, God, over this church, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who care about the things that you care about. Who would leave the 99 and run after the one. God, that we would care for one another the way that you care for us. That we would serve one another the way, Jesus, that you would serve and wash our feet. God, we want to live for you. We want to make an impact in this planet. The short, the very, very short time that we have here, we want to make it count. In Jesus' mighty name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.